0: Greetings, dudes, dudettes, and a special hello to my non-binary human beings of general dudeness and valor, Drew here at ThatAnxietyGuy.com. It's a Sunday night. We're going to do something a little bit different, audio only tonight, so you'll have to watch this one with your ears. We're going to do a little question and answer from the audience. Several weeks ago, I asked the good people of my Facebook group, and by the way, if you would like to join that group, hit my website, thatanxietyguide.com. There are links to the group all over on every episode. Just click a link, ask to join, we'll get you right in. So I asked the fine people of my Facebook group, if anybody would be willing to do a little experiment with me, leave me voice messages here on Anchor, where I host the podcast and ask questions, and I promised that if they did, I would answer those questions in a future episode. So, several of them were nice enough to do that. They left me voice messages with questions, and wouldn't you know it, this is the episode where I'm going to do that. So I'm going to let you hear their questions, and then I'm going to answer them one by one, Let's get the ball rolling with my friend Jay from Los Angeles, who brings us a question about dizziness. Let's hear from Jay. Hey, Drew, this is Jay in Los Angeles. Um, A question that I have come up for me a lot is when moving through the dizziness that comes with anxiety, uh, particularly when out in public, but it could be at home, um, not thinking about it seems impossible. What, in your opinion, is the right way to think about it while it's happening? Thanks. Hello, Jay, and thank you because that was a great question. I will try and give you as detailed an answer as I can in a short amount of time as I can. I do agree with you 100%. And first of all, let me say that this is a symptom that I still experience. It's probably the one symptom that just stays with me and may stay with me throughout my entire life. Not that I mean every minute of the day, that's not true, but if I'm going to have an anxious day, there's a really good chance that the symptom I'm going to experience is that dizziness. So let me kind of clarify that a little bit and say that we have to be careful about what we call dizziness, but I know that you know this, but for the benefit of everybody else watching, you know, if you are truly dizzy to the point where when you stand up, you quite literally fall on the floor, that's one thing. But anxiety dizziness is is a little bit different. We're just going to call it sort of off balance. Maybe it's slightly disoriented, slightly lightheaded. It it doesn't really knock you to the floor or knock you back on the sofa or keep you from doing things, but yet it's uncomfortable. So I know what you're experiencing because I still experience it sometimes. And what I would tell you to do is that it's true. You cannot just ignore that one. And I never think that you should ignore your symptoms, but that one is particularly difficult to not pay attention to because it's just with you, you know, and everything you do, it's part of your perception. So I, I do get what you're saying. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to focus on it. So what I tend to do is I will just make a quick note like, oh, here it is again. And if I'm having an anxious day, it can hit at any given time, sometimes randomly. It's like, boom, up oh, there you go. All of a sudden, I've got that sort of dizzy or vertigo feeling. Uh, and I will literally just say, oh, there it is again. But then I will immediately bring my focus to whatever task it is that I want to do. And what I basically am doing is saying, like, well, I feel this, but there's really no reason why I can't do what I want to do. So I will literally focus on taking one step and then the other if I'm walking or literally focus on getting up out of my chair if that 's what I have to do, or focus on you know typing at my keyboard or looking at the screen or, or having the conversation that i 'm having, or you know cooking my eggs or whatever it is that i 'm doing at the time, I will just put my focus onto that task, and i 'll pretty much acknowledge that the, that sensation is there, but I will pretty much resolve almost saying in my head, well, it's there, but it doesn't mean I, I have to stop doing what I'm doing and then I'll, and I'll do what I need to do. So hopefully that helps. I think it's, it's a strategy that you may find will improve things a little bit. In fact, I've been at this for many years, so I'm really good at it. And generally speaking, if I do it well, that symptom will will pretty much go away uh, within 15, 20, 30 minutes. It's not something that lingers with me for a very long time unless I fall into the trap of letting it hinder my progress. So give it a shot. See how that works out for you. You don't have to ignore it, but you also don't have to focus on it. So let's move on to our next question. Our next question is from a friend, Connie. Connie has a problem with neck spasms. So uh, let's hear it.
1: Hey, Drew, I have a question for you. I have trouble with the neck spasms, and it's the worst brings anxiety on and panic attacks. What do I do about that?
0: Hey, Connie, thank you so much for the question. So um, this one is a pretty easy one to tell you to God's honest truth. First of all, I'm sorry that you're having issues with your neck. That sounds like no fun whatsoever, and I hope it gets better. Um, but your question was quite literally, I have neck spasms, and, and it brings it causes anxiety and panic attacks. And my answer to you is to say, no, it doesn't. Um, your neck spasms do not cause panic attacks. Your neck spasms cause spasms in your neck. They may make you uh, uncomfortable, or they may cause you pain, which hopefully is not too bad. Um, and they may impede your physical movement. They may cause you headaches. They may cause you a whole, you know, array of physical issues. Uh, but the spasms in your neck do not cause panic attacks. What causes a panic attack is your reaction to the spasms in your neck. So, the answer to, you know, what do I do about that is you need to learn when you experience those neck spasms, and there's nothing you can do to stop them, you know, in terms of the anxiety stuff hopefully they'll be able to be treatable and go away but when you experience the spasms in your neck the issue here is your reaction if you are immediately tensing up uh, you know recoiling from them going into oh my god mode oh my god mode and following those thoughts along then yes your anxiety is going to spike and you may in fact have panic attacks as a result but you need to disassociate the uh, neck spasms itself from the anxiety and panic The next spasms are not what's causing your anxiety and panic. Your reaction to the next spasms are causing anxiety and panic. So imagine if somebody said, You know, I just slammed my foot against the dining room table and I think I broke my foot and it really hurts and I'm having a panic attack. You might say, Well, why are you having a panic attack? You broke your foot. So they're two completely unrelated things. And I need you to really look, sit down, and look at how you're reacting when those next spasms hit you. What are you doing? What's your body language, which I know is impacted by the spasms themselves, but what is your body language overall, and where does your brain go? Where are your, where are your thoughts going? So you need to identify what those thoughts are, and then you need to be resolved to say, okay, let me change my reaction. When I have a next spasm, I'm going to do the very best that I can within the confines of what's going on physically with your body to relax, and I understand a spasm is the opposite of relaxing, but it doesn't mean you have to tense the rest of your body or, or go into that defensive body language. Try not to do that, and above all, you're going to put your brain in neutral and say, I'm going to have those oh my god thoughts. They'll still be there. You're not trying to suppress them or change them. Let them come, but do not follow them. So think about what kind of thoughts you have that start to fuel that cycle and understand that if you're tensing the rest of your body and you begin to follow those thoughts – or you begin to start try to argue with them or suppress them and hold them down, you're actually fueling the cycle, and you, yes, your anxiety is going to rise, and you may actually kindle it into full-blown panic. So your job now is to change your physical reaction to those next spasms and to identify what kind of thoughts you engage in and change your reaction to those thoughts. You can have the thoughts, acknowledge that you had the thought, and then put your focus somewhere else, I understand that it might be difficult to focus on something because of the pain in your neck, but find something to focus on that is not those thoughts. So you're essentially just ignoring, you're not ignoring the thoughts, but you're acknowledging them and say, go ahead and scream at me. I'm going to be looking over here. And if you have to repeat that 10,000 times to learn it, that's your strategy. So stop saying that they cause your panic attacks. They don't and start working on identifying what your reaction has been and changing that reaction. I hope that helps. So let's take, the next call was from my friend Charlie in Texas. Charlie is all kinds of awesome. She actually has three questions and I could take them because they're, they're not difficult. So let's hear from Charlie.
1: Hey, Drew, this is Charlie. Hey, this is really cool. Okay, so here's my question. Um, I'm doing really well, but I've got three, three areas where I'm still kind of struggling a little bit. And so hopefully we can address those. The first one is driving. I'm still having issues with driving, and I'm not sure why. I don't know. I don't really have a phobia or fear of driving. I just kind of get a panic attack when I get behind the wheel. Um, the second one is going to doctors. Of course, I think that's pretty common. The third one is really kind of strange. Um, I love to travel But I have some kind of really weird fear about going through security, and I cannot figure that one out. I get really panicky when we go through security. I have no problem flying. I'm not afraid of flying. I don't get panicky up in the plane. It's just going through security, so that's kind of weird, isn't it? Okay, we'll talk to you later. Thanks.
0: Hey, Charlie. Okay, so you've got three questions, but they're really one question, and uh, I'll be able to answer them all. So your problem is with driving Anxiety while driving, you have anxiety when you go and see the doctor, and you have anxiety not when you're traveling or getting on a plane, but specifically when you're going through security. I don't know why you're having anxiety in those three situations. Going to the doctor is something that many, many people, even people who do not have anxiety problems in general, do not like going to see the doctor or the dentist. They get nervous. That's super normal. Like a large portion of the population is afraid to go to the doctor. So I think that's a slightly different thing. But really and truly what it comes down to is, and I don't know what the issue is with driving or the security line at the airport, it could be any number of things. When you're driving, you could be worried about an accident, you could be having thoughts about maybe a past accident you've been, there's a million different reasons why you might get anxious when driving, but most likely the driving and the airport stuff and even to a certain extent the doctor visits is still that fear of what's going to happen when you do that. So you may not be specifically worried about getting into a car accident. You may be worried more so that you are going to have anxiety in the car. So therefore, it, you do have anxiety in the car. Um, same thing going through the airport security line. Maybe the original source of that was that you were afraid something bad was going to happen and you would miss your flight or you wouldn't be able to go on your trip. Who knows what it was, but now you've developed the habit of being afraid to go through the security line at the airport. And with the doctor, I mean, some people are afraid to go to the doctor because they're afraid it will hurt. They don't want to get a needle or they don't like medication. There's a million different reasons to be afraid to go to the doctor, but it sounds like you may have taken that to that degree where now being afraid to go to the doctor has become a habit and you've learned to be even more afraid than the average person who just doesn't like a doctor visit. So I I think what you got to do in all three of those situations is really, like I just answered Connie, you really get to look at the way you're reacting to the situations so you have anxiety while you're driving. You need to really look at, well, what do I do when I drive? What's my body language? Do I tense up? Am I, am I engaging in my thoughts? Am I following my thoughts? Am I getting into oh my God mode? Am I getting into what if mode? Am I worried that I will feel anxiety or panic while I'm in the car? And if you are, if you answer that honestly to yourself and say, yeah, I'm kind of worried about having a panic, panic attack in the car, well, then you know that's the deal. You just have to be willing to have that panic attack or feel that anxiety while you're in the car. And more than anything else, to extinguish this over time, you really got to make sure when you do feel these things or even when you find yourself anticipating them, you change the way you react. You soften your body. Don't follow the thoughts. Don't engage in inner dialogue. Don't discuss it in your mind. Don't argue with yourself. Just put your brain into neutral. Go back to your breath. You know, Go ragdoll on your body and do not let that run away with yourself. And I think if you start to identify the physical behaviors, the body language, and the thought processes that are adding that are fueling those fears, you'll probably start to see commonalities in all three situations. So it's not so much the situation, like what do I do about being anxious about driving? It's what do I do about my reaction to anxious feelings and thoughts in general? So apply that to all three of those things. You may still wind up having some form of anxiety at the doctor's office. Like I said, that's such a common thing. But it doesn't mean it has to be at a fever pitch where you actually are dreading a doctor's visit down the road. It might not be your favorite thing to do, but it doesn't have to be a major disaster. So really look at the commonality among all three things in terms of your reaction. Identify what you're doing and see what it is you have to change. And yes, I would agree. You are doing spectacularly, and I'm quite proud of you. So it's super nice to hear from you. All right, let's take our next question. Hey,
1: Drew. It's Julie. I have a question on exposure. What is the theory or your thoughts on if you do a little bit of exposure, do you get a little bit better versus do a lot of exposure the first time? Do you get exponentially better or is exposure exposure? You know, um, is it, I guess beneficial in any way if you're afraid to go out of your house to go well, I'll just take a flight to Europe and I'll expose the heck out of myself or is it more beneficial to go easy or is that an individual thing
0: thank you peace hey Julie most excellent question this is an easy answer and I think you'd find that anybody involved in cognitive behavioral therapy or behavioral therapy in general will agree with this the answer to is always small steps, always, always, always. I can't repeat it enough. So what we do see sometimes is people will, maybe they'll wander into the Facebook group and they'll see all these success stories and they'll decide, that's it, I'm tired of living this way, today is the day, and they'll go from a you know 100-yard radius around their house and they'll try and drive 25 miles away and spend eight hours in a shopping mall and it completely backfires on them. So no, you don't solve this by deciding, I'm just gonna get on a plane and go around the world. Uh, you actually solve it by taking small steps, very small steps. You just have to take them again and again and again with no days off, repetitively, repeatedly, tenaciously, consistently, and with incremental um, uh, additions and improvements as you go. So that's always a better plan. You start small, you take your steps over and over and over consistently, tenaciously with no days off and no variation, and then you just incrementally improve as you go. It's Always the better method. You would be hard-pressed to find a therapist that would tell you to attack this in big, giant leaps and chunks. That just doesn't really work that way. So excellent question, and uh, let's move on to the next one from my man Clay Morris. So let's see what Clay has to say. What's up, Drew? It's your boy Clay Morris here. Got a quick question for you. Why is it easier to walk through the mall or do, a, do an exposure in public with a video camera, even if you don't post it. Why, do, why is it easier to do that with a camera on you than it is without? Things that make you go, hmm. My man, Clay Morris. Yes, that's an excellent question. And I can tell you, I will start my answer by saying I experienced the same thing. Now, that was many years ago, uh, but back around 2008, 2009, I was involved with a group of people on YouTube Uh, that were doing exposure videos and sharing them and trying to help each other out. We all had the same experience that just having the camera with us made it easier to do. Um, And I don't know exactly why that is, but I certainly have a theory. And that theory is focused on distraction. When you are talking to the camera, it's as if you have called a friend or your wife or your girlfriend or a safe person and asked them to talk to you. So I think many people listening could relate to that, like, I'm having a panic attack, just talk to me. Well, the camera kind of is a surrogate for that human being, and it's a distraction tool. Because when you are talking to somebody, you're essentially getting your focus out from inside your own head and in your own body and out to the outside world. It's the same as snapping rubber bands on your wrist or going for the coloring book to color to distract you or turning up the radio to sing or whatever it may be, I'm pretty sure that the camera just becomes a distraction and a way to bring your focus out from inside yourself, sort of forced and dragged inside and examining everything that's happening in your head and in your body. And your focus goes externally to that camera, like you're talking to a human being. So again, that's just a theory, but it sounds right to me, it doesn't necessarily make it true. But yes, I experienced the same thing. And that's actually a really interesting and a good question. So I appreciate you asking. So I'm going to kind of end the episode here. Unfortunately, there was one other question from my friend Marianne. And Marianne, I'm sorry, but your question got cut off. Um, so you weren't weren't able to finish it on Anchor. I believe you're asking about anticipatory anxiety. I don't want to assume and I don't want to put you kind of cut off on the air because that probably wouldn't be cool. Uh, so uh, Marianne, I will tell you that I just did a video on anticipatory anxiety. Um, it really talks about just... Learning how to slow things down, break down your actions before you have to go to that event into the smallest possible pieces to maintain focus in the moment as opposed to down the road, Uh, making a plan for how you're going to approach the thing. And above all, part of that plan being, I'm not going to live the event until I actually am at the event. Um, So, so much of anticipatory anxiety is that. Literally saying the minute that you, you know, find out that you had to go to your you know, your daughter's uh, graduation ceremony, uh, as soon as you hear that, boom, you automatically start living that event in your head and you can learn ways to not do that. Okay, I have to go to this event. It's making me nervous that I have to go. Let me make a plan. Part of the plan is the event is a month from now. I'm not going to start dealing with that until that day. That's line one of the plan. And uh, part of the rest of the plan is to learn to do your routine in preparing for that event when it does come in as mindful and slow and deliberate a fashion as possible so that you stay focused in the moment. So it's really an exercise, again, in focus and mindfulness. Uh, anyway, so I hope that helps, and I apologize that I, I couldn't put you on the air, but I didn't want to since you were cut off before I think you were done speaking. Anyway, this has been fun. Hopefully, it's been helpful to anyone listening. Uh, of course, if you have comments and questions. You're certainly welcome to throw them out there. Comment on the website. Comment on my Facebook group, whatever it happens to be. Always start at thatanxietyguide.com. It has all my links to all my social media. Uh, my mailing list is on there. Please consider getting on the mailing list because it's just going to become an easier way for me to communicate with everybody as the audience grows. I appreciate you listening and I'll see you in the next one.